So here are the words of Jesus himself from John chapter 14, verse 12. Read it out loud with me, would you, together, without clapping. <laughs> Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. John 14, 12. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, team. Wonderful. Here's the series, it's called Greater. Jesus is up to something greater in your life than you can imagine. Not greater in the sense of providing a salvation that you, you could be greater than his. Not a life that'd be greater than his. Not a death that's greater than his. Certainly no resurrection greater than his. But a greater influence. We talked about that last week. You could have an impact and that's exactly what happened with the first generation of believers. Jesus uh, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, rose again, paid for our sins, and then rises from the dead and then goes back to the Father in heaven. And before he goes, he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. When I go, I'll come back, I'll take you with me, John 14, 1 and 2. And so he's, he's getting them ready. I'm going to go, but I'm going to come back. You, ever, you remember that when you were a kid, your, your dad said, I'm coming back? I'm leaving, but when I come back, the lawn better be mowed. <laughs> Trash better be out. Dishwasher better be clean. Yep, yep, remember that? And I will be back. And he'd say, ah, he's not coming back. He's not coming. And he'd come back. And then it was judgment day. Happy day if you had the lawn mowed, trash emptied. Not such a happy day if you'd forgotten or let it go, right? He said he'd be back. The Lord says he's not... He's not weary about his promises. He'll fulfill the promise. I'm coming back. You can plan on it. He's going to come back. He's preparing a place for you in heaven right now. So get your reservation in. Because you can't arrive in heaven without the reservation. You have, to arrive, you have to send the reservation to heaven. That's called faith. And then he says, and when you believe me, the very things I'm doing, Jesus said, you're going to be doing better things, greater things. Unbelievable. John 14. But that's exactly what happened. After Jesus rose again, right before he went back to the Father, Acts chapter 1 says this, that there, there would be followers of Jesus, and he says, you'll receive, he says to the followers, uh, to his followers, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, or in you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth, to the, to the uttermost parts, another translation says, and that's exactly what happened. Within one generation, these people who saw what Jesus did became witnesses to what he did. They became Holy Spirit-filled and empowered Christians who did something greater because they had witnessed a miracle. What had they seen? They had seen a dead guy walk. They had seen a dead guy come back to life. And they didn't have all the answers but they were witnesses to what they did see. They didn't have it all figured out. They didn't even have a complete Bible. They didn't have all the theology down or all the doctrinal systems and all the questions answered. But they were witnesses to the greatest miracle that would ever be seen. And that's the story they tell. Look, this is all I know. They killed the guy three days later. And they, when they killed him, they really killed him. They hung him on a cross. He hung there all day. When they got done, they stuffed a knife through his side. We're sure he's dead. Then they buried him. If he wasn't dead, he laid in a grave three days. You're going to die bleeding like that. There's no way the guy could be alive. And yet, three days later, they find him alive. And that is the story they tell. It's unbelievable, but accept it. You saw it, so you have to believe it. 
and it turned the world upside down. Any of you been to court? And no, don't raise your hand quite yet. Any of you been to court as a juror? Anybody been called for jury duty? Okay. I wouldn't ask that question. Anybody been to court? And you, you know, that's just not fair because it's not a good question. Talk to me later. No, I'm just kidding. You've been to court, you've been to court for jury duty. Anybody had jury duty? You, in, those of you who've not had jury duty, you deserve jury duty. You need to experience it once. And. Uh, and, you know, we all love the democratic system and the republic, and we all, we all love that. We just don't want to have to work at it, right? We all want great marriages. We just don't want to work at it. We all want healthy bodies. We just don't want to work at it. That's why we have booths in the lobby. God for God, you know, marriage, uh, uh, oneness, and, and uh, the art of marriage. You know, you want a good nation, you have to work at it. We have to show up for jury duty. When you're a juror, you're not the judge, you're not the prosecutor, you're not the criminal, hopefully. You're just a juror, right? When you're a witness in a court, what are you? You're the witness. You just tell them what you saw, right? When you're the witness, you are not the prosecuting attorney, you're not the defense attorney. You are not the judge. You're not saying, I know that guy, he should go right to jail. Why? Because I could just tell he looks like a criminal. He's like that guy on CSI I saw the other, last week on TV. You need to watch less TV. So the answer to that is, what does a witness do? All a witness does is tell what they saw. That's it. They, aren't, they don't have to be jury. They don't have to call a conclusion. They don't have to be judge. They're just telling you what you saw. And that's all Jesus asks us to be. When the Holy Spirit comes in your life, the reason he leaves you behind is so you'll tell your story. And you know what happened? These believers saw amazing things. They couldn't help but tell their story. That's what they were destined to do. And some 40 years later, the Apostle Paul would sit down and write the book of Romans. And when he would write the book of Romans, chapter 1, he would write, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. And Paul, being a Jew, he would write to the Jews but also to the Greeks. In other words, it's, this is for everybody. And the reason he wrote that, under the authority of the power of the Holy Spirit writing the word in his life, that was not theory. That was not stale dead doctrine. That was not a hypothesis. That was his experience. You get this? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power to change a life. And that's what he knew from experience. He had seen the book of Acts live itself out. And Christians who, people who came to Christ in that first century, their lives were radically changed. And it wasn't like, well, I used to be this, going to this church, and now I'm going to that church. No, they had no church. Now all of a sudden, they're meeting in small bands of followers trying to figure this Christianity thing out. My, my theory is this. I think people are way closer to Christ than we give them credit for. They're actually on their way to Christ they just don't know it. In fact, Gallup found in a national survey in the United States that 64 million Americans don't attend church ever. But two-thirds of them, no, I'm sorry, one-third of them would attend if they were invited. That means over 20 million Americans would show up at church next weekend if someone just said, hey, you ought to come. I experienced a life change, and you ought to come just check it out for yourself. A, a third of them would show up if invited. We always, there's all kinds of bad stats about teenagers. I think they get the bum rap sometimes. You know, they're, they're disintegrating and, and they're, they're always on iPods or they're, you know, nano somethings and they're never looking up because they're always at the, 
doing something with their thumbs. And, you know, I, frankly, we're just jealous. I mean, I would type that fast too if I could. I just have gained too much weight in my thumbs. My, you know, any misspelled words? Have you ever done that? Misspelled? Dad, what are you trying to say? I'll just call you. I'll just call you. I'll just call you. I'll write you a letter on paper. You'll get it in two days. <laughs> We're just jealous. You know what we found about teens? Teens are interested in spirituality. It trends. Teens are interested in eternity, where they came from, how they got where they are. Is this a chance? Am I a mistake? Because families are blowing up. They wonder, how did I get here? And they wonder what their purpose is and where they're headed in life, their value and contribution to society. And, they, and the reason that is, is because God put it in our hearts, eternity. See, so you understand that. You understand people aren't that far from Jesus. They're really close if we just give them an opportunity, just invite them. And th- that's the word for the day. Last week was influence, greater influence. Today, it's greater opportunity. Uh, I'm going to give you fourth keys that are going to just boost your opportunity uh, your opportunities out the wazoo. You ready? Here's the first one. Just become aware. Ask God, God, don't let me go through life clueless. Let me be spiritually aware. The church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Why, why was that? Because they're living in the fear of the Lord. They knew what the Lord was up to, and the Lord was up to something. And they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. You understand an encouraging place where you meet with believers and you meet there regularly, and you make it your, your, kind of your assignment when you show up. When you show up to church, my job isn't just to fill my spiritual bucket. My job is to go around filling other spiritual buckets and encouraging others so much more as we see the day approaching. That was the Acts chapter 9, verse 31. I'm just going to take you through Acts kind of this morning with uh, maybe four different passages. Just be aware, the fear of the Lord, the fact that God is up to something good. These people took Jesus seriously and they saw incredible things in their lifetime and people jumped on board. And when people jumped on board, more people said, you know what, that might work. And then they would go see it for themselves and they would, they would embrace the Lord once they realized. And, and this is the issue. Sometimes we think, oh, it's all up to me. I have to do, I have to be Jesus done. And you do, you need to be Jesus done. But you don't have to do it all. Paul writes it this way. I, I planted the seed, Apollos, another guy, he waters it. God makes it grow. God gives the increase. One guy's going to plant, another guy's going to water, another guy's going to weed, another guy's going to water some more, another guy's going to weed some more. Someone's going to plant a few more seeds, but God gives the increase. doesn't matter who did all that other work. We just want God to get the increase. I think there are stages. You don't have to be responsible for your friends totally because you don't know what other Christians, what they're doing to tap them. All you need to do is get this. If you can help them move one stage forward, that's all, that's, it's a really good thing to do. It's all you have to do. If you just keep helping them make stages, help make moves. Uh, I've set out a chart for you, and this is by no means original. It comes from a guy by the name of Ingle, another guy uh, who wrote for Bill Bright in, in uh, Canvas Crusade. There are just several books out. Uh, tell it often, tell it well. It's a great book on how, how to give your faith, how to witness your faith. There are different stages, and some of them actually give you 10. I, I can't take 10. I can do about four on each side, one down the middle. 
what's that, nine, but they had like 10 on each side plus a couple in the middle, three. It just was way too confusing. But uh, very simply, some people are just resistant to the gospel, but they're not resistant to the gospel. What they are is they're hurt by church or they're hurt by Christians. You ever met someone like that? The moment you tell them you go to church or that you're a Christian, they can tell you three bad stories, you know. And so some people are just plain resistant. They're burned out or burned by churches or by Christians. Some are just afraid. Some have a broken conscience. There's three reasons right there. Some are burned. Uh, some are afraid. There's the fear factor. And then some just have a broken conscience because their, their sin has them snared. And the way you, you move a person is you, you just have to be patiently working with them to get them to the next stage, which is to be cautious. This is what I know. This is what I don't know. This is what I know about God. I don't know about that, about God. And you give them some room to kind of ask some honest questions. What Francis Schaeffer would say, honest answers to honest questions. That's a really good stage to be in because you're moving them forward towards conversion, towards personal faith. And so they might be resistant, and, and then a, three or four months or not, from now or six months from now be cautious, and that gets them ready to be considering. Why would people even consider Christ in their lives? I'll tell you why. Because bad things happen to everybody, okay? And in reality, people know down deep their life stinks. And they just go, there's got to be something better than this. Even though they're putting on that, that life is good and well, we're doing okay, in the quietness of their own heart, they know there's got to be something more. And that moves them to that next stage of being at least considering it because the only difference between you and them is that you have supernatural help, see? So if you can help them see, if you come to this personal faith thing, life will still suck. It'll still be bad, but you'll have supernatural help. You'll be built in character, and maybe you'll see God's purpose in the bad stuff that happens in your life. So resistance, to cautious, to considering, to finally when they're answering these questions, they're just asking you questions. Sometimes I, I've, I've worked with people when they're coming to Christ, and I know they are, but then they just keep asking me questions and questions, and what about this, what about that? They keep, I'm thinking they just don't want to make a decision for Jesus. You don't want Jesus. You're asking too many questions. That's not true. Actually, they're asking questions because they're really close to coming to Christ. Think about it. The last time you bought an appliance, like just a refrigerator, for instance, you looked and looked and looked, and you didn't ask any questions. Oh, that's nice. Got any other colors? Swing the other way? Door open? Yeah. Can I get from my couch here and back within 30 seconds? Will that work? Yeah. Okay. But when you... when when the guy on the floor, the gal on the floor, hears questions like, uh, will this keep the crisp stuff really crisp? Because I like, I like fresh fruits and vegetables. Will this keep my meats really good? And the ice cube tray, does it have that, does it make cubes or does it make those slicey things that don't fit in my glass? When, you, when, the, when he hears those questions, you know what he knows? He knows you're really close. You're really getting serious. Does it have that tray underneath? Does it come with a three-year warranty? When he hears that, he knows, oh, we're in. We're in. That did not blow it at this point. So when people are asking you questions about the faith, this is a signal that they're on their way. And then there'll be a day when, for by grace we're saved through faith, not, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, and they, they, the lights come on. It might be at home with them. They might be watching TV. They might be in church. 
They might be reading their Bible late at night. You might be around, you might not be. But they've been making these steps all the way along. And then they come to this personal faith moment in their life. Eureka. Conversion to Christ. It's a wonderful thing. Now, your life doesn't end there. The Lord, the next, very next thing this person needs is to connect with the body, a group of other believers. And he needs to be around several. That's why I think when you help a person come to Christ, it's good to introduce other Christians to them because you don't have all the answers. You don't have all the personalities. You don't have all the patience. And they need three or four or five or six others around. And when you do have those three or four or five, six people around and that person comes to Christ, guess what? You automatically have a place for them to belong. It's that connecting piece, which is huge. That, in a bigger sense, is called a local church or an assembly. And it's, it's where they can come together and be encouraged and, and observe the ordinances of the Lord and accomplish the Great Commission to do that together. But in the initial stages, even just connecting with a few Christians, even that is huge. It's just like if you've ever been around when an animal's born, you've been around when a cow's been calving, they give birth, and then what does the farmer oftentimes do? Right within the first minute, just get the milk out of that mother's uh, out of the, out of the mother's uh, body and into the young calf's body. Why is that? Because they need the sincere milk of the word. Peter writes it that way. They, that richness of the milk is going to give the initial vitamins that they need and the strength they need right away. Because they've been born. They're, they're traumatic stage right there. It's huge. It's that way spiritually too. As soon as that settles in, then the next stage is for them to begin to grow. And uh, taking root like like Psalm chapter 1 says, the tree that's planted by the waters is cool waters. It makes the roots grow deeper. You begin to understand the deep truths of God. That's a really good thing. But you'll never really click spiritually to begin to serve because you're discovering what God has done in your life, the impact you can have, and the impact you can have for um, uh, Christ's church. And a lot of what God wants to do in your life doesn't activate itself until you begin to serve, which is which is the way we're defined. We're defined as servants of the Most High God. You ever watch the Apostle Paul when he writes to the church? He, oftentimes he refers to himself as a servant. That's what we are. And when you're serving, it's a lot easier for God to move and help you grow. And then ultimately it's to share your faith, to show, tell your story, uh, and then provide the base for the next generation of Christians. And that's a huge piece. Now, Take those stages now, four on each side, one down the middle. Ask yourself, where am I in that? But then ask yourself, someone you're, you're helping come to Christ, someone that needs a greater life, something bigger, something better, where are they and what could I do? Just I, I, I'm not trying to get them to leap seven steps. What I'm trying to do is just get them to take one step. Just one step. Just one step. And just help people make their next step. You don't have to force them into a spot they cannot go and they will not go. And by the way, you may be saying, oh my gosh, I'm seeing the chart and I see myself in that chart. I've, I was resistant. I know what that's like. I was caustic to the church. Now I, then I finally came to Christ and, and then I come into the body of Christ and then I, I start to grow and then I go backwards. Anybody done that? Like, oh yes, I've seen myself. Oh, do I really believe? Oh, and then I go back and forth. Okay, just me. Other stuff, yeah, I know I've done this. You know, you're, oh, where am I? And, and you grow, and you think, I thought I had this one solved. And, and that's the process of growth. Now, if you don't know where you are in that chart, or, for instance, you're saying, I'm stuck. I'm just stuck. I've been at this place in my spiritual life a long time. Then come tonight at 6 o'clock, come through these doors, go to room 19. 
We're running in class 301. It will help you understand how God has wired you, how uniquely God has made you, and how you will work out your faith through service, how God has uniquely gifted you to serve within the body of Christ, and that will get you unstuck and help you grow. But when it comes to leading to someone to Jesus, first thing you have to do is, is ask the Lord, just make me aware. Just aware. Let me tell you a story from, uh, goes way back. <clears throat> long time ago, long, long time ago. I used to do funerals for World War II veterans who were basically destitute guys. Guys who served our country well but ended their life usually under a bridge or homeless or in a shelter or something like that. And that did happen in the 1940s. And by the 60s, it was starting to show up. In the 70s, it was showing up in a big way. By the 80s, 90s, it was beginning to show up as these guys began to age. And, um, and so the VFW Hall asked me if I would be willing to do these kind of public funeral services. They wanted a religious guy there. And I said, sure. I'd be, more than, I'd be honored to lay these guys to rest. But it gave me an opportunity, too, to read some scripture and pray for some guys. Also, it, I was allowed to hang out with these 80-year-old World War II vets who were a lot of fun. They carried guns on them, which is kind of scary when you're 80. And, uh, but uh, I mean, they would, we'd go out to the cemetery, and I would read a little passage. They'd fire these guns. I was hoping, you know, I was looking at birds and trees, you know, wondering, well, are they there? Or did, these are slugs, right? We were, and then they would hand a flag to someone in the family, and then They'd all go to the VFW hall and drink beer the rest of the day, which made their wives happy because it got them out of the house. So all in all, it was a good deal. Well, there was a funeral director that would get these assignments. And because he was so young, he was low totem pole, he always got these assignments. And uh, he and I would get 15 minutes in the car going from the funeral home out to the cemetery out on the edge of town. And... uh, and this guy didn't know, uh, he was spiritually searching. I don't know where he was in his scale. He wasn't really resistant. I wouldn't say he was far from God. But he was somewhere in that middle zone, and he kind of hovered around two and three away, you know, asking questions and then backing up a bit. And so I'd get in the car, and I, I, and I wouldn't see him for a month. And I'd get, hop in the car in, in the front of the hearse because we'd ride out together. And I knew I had 15 minutes. I'd say, it's a beautiful day the Lord has made. Huh? And he'd go, uh-huh. A guy died, you know that, right? I know, it's still a beautiful day. <laughs> oh boy. So then we talk about life and his marriage and they wanted kids. I mean, just we talk about hopes and dreams and stuff. It was a wonderful discussion. And I, I learned a lot from this guy, great guy. And the guy was made to be a mortician. He knew it in high school, knew it in junior high. He wanted, wanted to do this work. So we would talk about that and the values of life. And I wouldn't see him again for a month or two, and then I'd see him again, and then not for a month or two, and then I'd see him again. Well, I, I couldn't even get to John 3.16. I was wanting, you know, look, buddy, Jesus loves you. You're next in the hearse. You're, you, you could be you, you know, on a bad day, so you need to trust Jesus now. I wanted, you know, because you wanted to take the short route there. He would never have heard that, so I, I just... Did some hee-hos, stopped, said, you know, it's a beautiful day. You ever wonder about your purpose in life? And we would t- talk about that. And then I would just drop little bits of scripture on him, a little bit here, a little bit there, each maybe once a month with these little segments of time. I bet I did this for two or three years. And the guy was getting closer and closer. Now he's at this point of asking these questions. And if I trust Christ, what does that mean? You know, and then my wife and I have been talking about this, and, and then he would 
bounce back to hurt Christians. You know, he'd go back to that initial stage, and then he'd come right back to right at the door of trusting Jesus. And he was at the door of trusting Jesus, I kid you not, for like six months. I'm going, this is it. We're in, you know. Well, then a guy in the church dies who is a World War II vet. And he's not a homeless guy. guy it, so I, I have no reason to be called, except that it's from my church, the church I'm pastoring. And his wife, who's a sweetheart of a lady, her name's Daisy. Isn't that great? I mean, Bob goes to Europe to fight the war and lives in a hole in Italy, you know, in the ground. But he's got a girl back home. Her name's Daisy. I mean, this is made for TV. This is a TBN special, I'm sure. Well, Bob dies, goes to heaven. We're going to do the service. So we do the service. I hop in the car. I'm thinking, this is my chance. I'm going to present the gospel. So I get partway in, and I say to my funeral director, buddy, let's go do lunch. Because this funeral really meant something. And, I could, and Daisy wanted me to present the whole gospel at that service. I mean, it was, it was a church funeral. Uh, and so it was a great day. And I, I got partway through the gospel with the guy. And then I said, let's go do lunch. Well, it was a couple weeks before we could get it arranged for lunch. So then we get, we get to lunch. And I said, look, I've been talking to you for, I don't know, two, three years now about this. I'm going to talk for 10 minutes, kind of sum up everything I'm thinking. And then all you're going to do is, because you've had a lot of questions, just shoot all the questions at me. He said, that sounds fair. So I went through, like, Romans 3, all of sin, come short of the glory of God, the wages of sin of death, Romans 6, I went Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right grace you're saved through faith. I mean, I, I, all these verses are just flying just as fast as I can go. I'm writing them on a napkin. But he's smiling at me the whole time. I'm doing this kind of aggravating, actually. Because I... This is three years of work on this one napkin, dude. You know, and I said, so what do you think of that? He said, you know, because I had given him brochures. We'd done stuff. You know, he'd been in our building, and he'd picked up brochures. And, he, and I said, are you ready to, to commit your life to Christ? He goes, he goes, you know that prayer you want me to pray? And I'm thinking he's going to say, oh, I don't want to do that. He said, um, Daisy helped me pray that a week ago. <laughs> I was like, No. No way. Daisy can't step in. I planted, watered, weeded, watered, weeded, seeded, watered, seeded, till the ground. Daisy floats in, leads him to Jesus. <laughs> he just smiled, laughed at me. And, um, you know, as we had a wonder, we finished up lunch. The next week, I went up to Daisy. He was like 80, you know, and she's, you know... I walked up, she knew exactly, you know, I was, I'm headed to you, lady. You stole one, of, I didn't get commission on that. You know, I should get, <laughs> she smiled, she said, you know, every verse I gave him, he said, oh yeah, Dave told me about that. Yeah, I do remember that one. And you know what? It was wonderful, because she was headed to heaven, too. It was wonderful for her. And by the way, how would they even get connected? You know, at a funeral, you, you, you go to bury someone, I don't know if you know this or not, but you do a funeral, then you, oftentimes the family will say, those cufflinks or that tie tack or there's something in the casket, we want that for the family. So we'll leave that for the viewing, but before you close the casket, we're going to pull those out. Those are called personal effects. They pull those out. They'll actually put them in a little, like a velour bag. It's a beautiful little piece. And they'll bag them up. They'll document all that. And then the funeral director holds it for them. Well, 
it was a big day. She didn't get him that day. He just said, I'll run him by the house. When he runs him by the house, she says, sit down, have a cup of tea, and leads him to Jesus. Well, I, I love him. He's a great guy. Um, they end up having, great, some, having some kids, and, and uh, kids are growing up. They're doing really well. They're following the Lord today. But it just goes to show you, you could be involved in any stage, and the Lord gets the increase. And you don't know who else, you don't know who else is speaking into their life at the time. So you just need to ask the Lord, be aware. Help me, God, just to be aware of what's happening. Uh, when people hear that I am a preacher, people back up. I know that's hard for you to believe. People will see me in town, and I'll say, and I'll, I'll say well, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and they go, no, no. And they'll make comments like, you're way too happy to be a pastor. You're way too, what they mean to say is cocky, or you're way too whatever, of an idiot to be a pastor. No, no, I am. Oftentimes they back up. Here's what my wife does. When someone new moves into our, into our block, we know this dynamic happens. She bakes them bread. My wife can make wonderful bread. But the only thing better than the bread is the honey butter that goes with the bread. All together now. Yeah. On a cold, rainy day. Bread with honey butter on it. And you know what? That wins their heart. Me handing them my card, you know, oh, it's the reverend? No, it doesn't do anything. It just goes in the dumpster. But the bread, that speaks a language, just being aware. Number two, ready? Commit yourself to pray. They raise their voices in God, to God, Acts 4. And they, here's the prayer. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Just make us speak with boldness, God. This ought to be our prayer every day, that we would be bold in our faith, bold in our witness, firm in our character, tender in our hearts, that the word of God would, would cover people. We would just pray a covering over people. Now, can you imagine, if you prayed, for instance, Pray for someone that the Father would draw them to Jesus or that the spirit that binds them, 2 Corinthians 4, they're binding spirits that they would be released or pray that they know God relationally. You know, because of the breakdown of the family, particularly in America, people don't even want to say the word Father anymore because it's too disappointing of a term. But they need to know that when you come to Christ, you're adopted into a family with a father, a dad who will never leave you. He'll never disappoint you. He'll always provide for your needs because he's not only a protector, he's also a provider. But, but that's the father relationship. So you, you, we need to pray, God, may, may they help, help them to know you as not just God, but as father in a relational kind of way. Pray that, that good believers would come in the path of the people you're praying for, that other people would have a tap in. And that in Ephesians chapter 1, I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's good for saved and unsaved people. We could pray, God, give them wisdom, but give them revelation. May it click in their hearts. May it turn their eyes on, that the, the, the scales fall off. They were blind, now they can see spiritually. So they can know you better. That's a prayer for even saved people as well. The, Ephesians 1 is a wonderful prayer for the family. But we could pray this, that, that the Lord would take the binders off so they could really see and that, that oftentimes when we pray, we pray for our own comfort, don't we? We pray, go, oh God, help me with this and help me with that and help me with this. And it's always about us. Me, 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 me,
And what if we prayed, God, what if it were all about these other people and your glory to be seen in it? It would revolutionize our thinking and our prayer like nothing else would. So number two, commit to pray. Number three, show that you care. The Apostle Paul, when he was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, he had wonderful, wonderful crowds that people were, were pleased to embrace Jesus. But the town fathers were not pleased because it was going to turn over the city. So what did they do? They beat the guys and then threw them in jail. They beat them and threw them in jail. Now you think about it for a moment. Have you ever been beat, thrown in jail? And what would you do at midnight after being beaten and thrown in jail? You'd, you'd be wanting a public defender, some attorney. Uh, you want some newspaper to show up. And that's not what they did. They began to sing hymns to God. I'm trying to figure out how they did it. He's greater. You start, Paul. You, you, he's greater. Okay, I got it. No, it's hard to do a change. <laughs> at midnight, they're singing praises to God. And the Lord knocks the chains off, opens the doors. It's kind of like an earthquake. The jailer sees these guys are going to escape. He takes a sword to his body like he's going to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't kill yourself. We're not going to run away. The jailer knew that if he let them go, uh, he would lose his life. He had to pay for it with his own life. And the jailer then asked the question that's pregnant in the moment. Uh, how, how can I have what you have? Uh, what can I do to be saved? He wants his life saved. He wants his eternity saved. But they've just spared his life. And when they explained to him the gospel of Jesus, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and this goes for you and anybody in your household. You know what the jailer did? He took them to his house. Now, I have never, ever met a state trooper who says, I just put this guy in jail. I'm bringing him home, honey, for dinner. No, I've never heard that before. That's how changed the jailer was. They sit down and just have dinner. Here's how you can show you care. Go to lunch with somebody. Just go to lunch. Jesus was walking through town. There was a guy who nobody liked. The reason I know nobody liked him, his name's Zacchaeus. <laughs> He's a tax collector. Nobody likes the tax collector. The tax collector's short, he can't see because the crowd's big, but it's coming down in a parade procession. So what does Zacchaeus do? He runs down the street, climbs up in a tree so he can see the, the Savior. He climbs up a tree so he can get a visual on this parade. Jesus looks up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I see you. And I'm going to come to your house today, and we're going to have dinner, we're going to have lunch. And that day changed Zacchaeus' whole life. You don't understand. It's not just the food. It's the conversation. It's the event. It's the fact that you show that you care. I hope you get that. Because anybody can go to lunch with somebody and say, How, how's life? Talk to me. How's your life going? How would you like it to go? And it will be an experience. By the way, community groups will delve into this some more. If you're not in a community group, use the connection card right now, sign up right now, drop it in the offering a little bit. Or better yet, when we leave, go to the lobby, stop at the table, and just sign up for a group and get in one this week. And if you're a community group leader, stop at the table, you'll get a new DVD, which will give you the materials you need for the week. Um, because this is, this is both not only caring, but it's going to show you how to share your faith as well. And if you get in a group, it will help you learn how to do that as a group. Number three, just show that you care. Number four, 
just be ready to share. Because Acts chapter 20, here's the back of the book of the story by now. Luke writes it this way, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And what's the task? Why did Jesus not take you to heaven the day you trusted him? The reason was this, he has a task for you and the task is the same for us. The task of testifying to the good news. Telling your story, not being judge, not being jury, not being prosecutor, not being defense. You're just a witness. You're just going to testify to it. This is the task you're left here on earth. There's a guy who was blind and he didn't know much. And they were always arguing about Jesus. Is his lineage right? What about his parenting, his parents? What about his brothers and sisters? Uh, what are his powers? Are those trick things? What about the disciples around him? They had all these questions about Jesus. And the blind guy says this, look, I don't know. Here's what I do know. Once I was blind, now I see. It's just that simple. Before I knew Jesus, I was blind. Now I can see. I, you can say whatever you want about Jesus. All I know is once I was blind, now I see. And you can say the same thing. Once my life was full of worry, today I know that there's a God who's in control once I met Jesus. Once I didn't know but well, I was a mistake in life and was always in the way, and now I see that God has a purpose for my life because I've met Jesus. See, once I knew I couldn't live this way anymore, Jesus showed me a new way to live. That's the testimony. It's the same thing this, the blind guy does. This is what I know. I don't have to be judge or jury to it. And that's my prayer for you, is that you'll be in a group that will, you'll begin to practice sharing your story, and then you'll share your story. In fact, that's going to be my closing prayer. Lord, make us aware of the opportunities we have this week to be prayerfully caring for people as we share our faith. That's our prayer. Would you bow with me and let's make that our prayer now. Would you ask the Lord, Lord, would you just make me aware of the opportunities in front of me? It's the whole big idea here. And if I could be aware, I would pray. And my prayers wouldn't be just about me. They'd be about greater things that you want to do in my life. Help me to care. And at every moment, always make me willing to share. For some of us this week, we're going to be like Andrew. You can't get all the answers, not sure how to do that. So you're just going to say, hey, uh, I know this. My church helps me. So you just invite them to church. This is what Andrew did. He never, ever explained who Jesus was. He just said, I'll just get you to him. And you just bring him along. And maybe that's your prayer. Lord, help me just to invite someone to church with me uh, next weekend and share the joy and, um, and the experience together. Maybe for you, the Lord's prompted you to, just to say, okay, God, there's another couple down our street. Let's go to the uh, art of marriage together. Let's jump in bod for God together. And for some in the room, Lord, we'd have to be uh, honest with you because we can't fool you. Some in the room, you might say to God, God, I, 
we've been talking about leading people to Jesus, but I'm, I've realized Ephesians 1, the spirit of revelation, I, it's clicking for me now. And I realize I'm at that point of conversion. I want to trust Christ. Then would you open your heart right where you're seated and just tell the Lord, God in heaven, I, I know I'm a sinner and I don't deserve heaven, but I would sure love to trust Christ with all that I am, I trust him. Prepare a home for me in heaven, please. Forgive me of my sin. Help me in this life. Whatever the words you pray, then just that's your faith, that you're embracing the Lord personally. This message isn't for all the other people. It's just for you to come to Christ. And if that's what happens today, this is a morning well spent. Lord, I thank you for giving to us a spirit of boldness to share our faith, to tell our story. Make us people who seize the opportunities and make most of the opportunities in front of us, we pray. And I pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.